Stand back. There's a hurricane coming through. The best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. But be the man. You gotta beat the man. Ooh, yeah. You got something mean, All right, and we're back with another edition of Guys Nation Wrestling Podcast, a post-SummerSlam edition. Lots of craziness went down at the pay-per-view, a lot more craziness at Raw the next night. Uh, did it live up to our expectations, Rob? It, uh, it certainly uh, exceeded my expectations. I, I, don't know, I don't know if you're going to go that far, but uh, in terms of whether I got my money's worth, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I thought so too. I mean, lot, you know, at least two, well, at least one match of the year candidate and possibly two. Um, and some, you know, good performances out of other guys that we didn't really expect much from, like uh, Del Rito and Christian. Um, so there's a lot to talk about. Uh, Bray Wyatt and Kane we might touch on later, but first we want to jump into the pay-per-view. Uh, I think that match of the year candidate that I referenced would possibly be CM Punk and Brock Lesnar. Um, what did you think of how it went? Uh, did you like the finish? Did you like the drama that they sold through out of it? Yeah, I I, uh, I like the match all except for uh, the the very first few opening moments. I felt like uh, Lesnar kind of took it right to CM Punk, and I don't know. To me, the way that you know the first couple minutes, just I don't know, just just a minor uh, minor thing about it. But uh, yeah, the rest of it uh, really liked. Um, not surprising that CM Punk would put on a great match with somebody. Um, and Brock Lesnar, I felt like he did a lot of good selling in the match. It's, it's something that uh, don't always see from Brock Lesnar. What, uh, what what did you think about the finish? Um, I thought it worked. You know, that's uh, they had some false finishes there. Uh, I really loved the spot where uh, he got he got Punk up on his shoulders for the F5, but they were near the ropes, and he grabbed Heyman's. Uh, tie, yep. you know, and, and Lesnar's telling him to let go, and Heyman's like, he's got the tie, you know, and they're just, right, it's right, like right. a scene out of a movie of like two stooges that can't complete the crime. Um, so I thought that was a really cool spot, and then, yeah, they uh, they went back and forth, I guess, before he finally did the F5 on the chair. Um, yeah. I think it, you know, I think it shows respect to Punk that he didn't just get outpowered by Brock, you know, they had to do something a little extra there and had to F5 him onto the chair to actually put him away. Yeah, and I, you know, with everything going on in TNA right now and them, you know, being involved with Bellator or whatever, um, one of the things that kind of struck me in this match is how good it was and how similar it was almost to an MMA fight because, you know, you had Lesnar doing his thing, and obviously he's not using the same type of moves that he would in the octagon, whatever. But, you know, I, I wrote up, uh, you know, I, I covered the event live, and I think I made a comment about uh, CM Punk using some uh, Muay Thai moves mm. with, you know, lots of flying knees and, and whatever. Um, and I really liked how towards the end of the towards the end of the match, I almost called it a fight, um, 
it, you know, Lesnar was trying for the, uh, the Kimura, and, you know, Punk was trying to block it, and, you know, that was, it was kind of a, had an MMA fight feel to it, and then Punk yeah. locks in the, uh, the triangle. Did you get a little, little bit of a mark out when he went for the Kimura? I kind of forgot that was part of his arsenal. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I was, I was happy to see that, because, um, you know, certainly I, I don't, I don't need to see another, another match end with Brock just brutalizing somebody and then hitting the, um, was it the F5? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I liked I liked the fact that he went back to the thing that broke Triple H's arm, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was cool because uh, I just, for whatever reason, it just wasn't front of mind that he was going to do something like that. And then, because they'd just been brawling a lot, you know, leading right. up to it. Yeah. Uh, they didn't remind us of that MMA stuff. So, yeah, it, it kind of made me mark out a little bit. Um, yeah, I agree. It was really cool. It definitely had an MMA feel to it. Um but I, you know, did did you expect that it would end in a submission then, since they were since they were going with all those moves? Um, you know, I, I couldn't really see either one of them tapping out. I mean, just yeah. with with everything that uh, that CM Punk's been going through, and you know, his determination to get at Paul Heyman, I, I felt like it would kind of be, I don't know, wouldn't be a great finish for him to have tapped out. Um, I, for a second there, I was I was actually thinking Lesnar would lock him back in the Kimura and quote-unquote, break his arm, but, uh, I mean, I guess, you know, the thought crossed my mind, and I said, well, no, they wouldn't They wouldn't keep Punk out for a few months, you know, selling a broken arm, yeah. um, but the thought did cross my mind that that's one way they could have ended it. Uh, I thought Lesnar might tap out, but he didn't. What did you think, what did you think of the no DQ, uh, uh, you know, little wrinkle that they added in there? I, I thought... That was a little strange, you know. I mean, obviously they did it during the pre-show, and Heyman announced it. And in my mind, you know, and they and the people on the pre-show, I guess, it was Booker T and uh, Shawn Michaels. They tried to sell it like, oh yeah, you know, Punk will need to use weapons, you know, to take down this big man. But in my head, I'm thinking, well, no, he there was no way he would want to no DQ because then that just opens it up for Heyman and anybody and Curtis Axel to come down there, and now he's fighting three on one. It didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me that he would have accepted that. Yeah. Definitely not logical from uh, from booking standpoint, but yeah, um, you know if they would have said weapons allowed or whatever, um, but yeah, they sh- they probably should have mentioned something about no outside interference or whatever. Um, yeah, I just it, it just struck me as odd how they were trying to sell it like, oh, this is good for Punk, and I, the whole time I'm thinking like, no way I would re- agree to that if I was one man against two. You know, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're CM Punk, yeah, you might want to be able to use a chair or a kendo stick or a camera to hit Brock Lesnar with, but the last thing you want is Brock Lesnar with a steel chair. Right. I mean, there's, there's no logic in that. Yeah, and but, he put some shots on Punk, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm, well, you know, for everything he does with a chair, it, it actually does look like it's a little safer than uh, when he throws people around the ring. Oh, no doubt. When he um, right there at the end of the match, when uh, when Punk had him in the triangle choke, and you know he used the sheer strength of Brock Lesnar to lift him up off the ground, off the mat, and uh, he backed up into a corner, and then he ran like halfway across the ring before he power bombed Punk. Mm-hmm. I was like, holy shit, he's gonna send him into the turnbuckles, and that's gonna be the end of CM Punk for real. Yeah, it almost looked like he backed up a bit just to get enough room, you know. Yeah. It was such yeah. a big delivery. 
Yep. So, there were a couple spots all night where uh, you thought guys were <laughs> going to get hurt. Um, but even yeah, earlier in that match too, when they were when they were out at the announce tables, looked like CM Punk cut his back on like one of the monitors or something when he threw him on it. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, it just a lot of that stuff just looks brutal. And you know, as it yeah. turns out, he he has. Uh, you know, they didn't mention anything on Raw that I heard of Punk having any staples, so I guess he's better yeah. off than last time. And I think it's really cool. I mean, it shows you that, you know, I think a lot of people were worried about Lesnar coming back and taking things seriously, but he's he's put on some good performances. I mean, I think his first one might have been a little weak, but the last few have been great. Um, I mean, that was, that was a heavyweight fight for the ages right there, I thought. Yeah, no, no doubt. Um that's certainly a, a classic, uh, better than a lot of Brock Lesnar matches I've seen. You know, none of the none of the fights that Lesnar's had with uh, Triple H or John Cena have really struck me that that way. Um, but yeah, certainly, certainly this one. I don't I don't know that you would call it a you know best match of all time, five star classic, whatever. But it's something that uh, I'll certainly remember a couple of years from yeah, now. Yeah, it's it's got to be up there in the top few of 2013, I would think. Oh yeah, no doubt about that. It's uh, I can't think of anything on WrestleMania that uh, that I enjoyed more than that match. I think really the only other match that that jumps out to me was Cena and uh, Punk on on Raw uh, for the number one contender when they went back and forth, you know, and Cena pulled out the power bomb and they really did a lot of good stuff. Yeah, where he uh, where he erased the five moves of Doom and just went for it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So anyway, yeah, that was um, good. So that was a great match, uh, one of the two main events. We'll get to the other main event in a bit, but you wanted to touch on uh, the World Heavyweight Championship. Yeah, because... Uh, between Del Rio and Christian, what do you got on that? Well, I mean, going into that match, I wasn't all that excited. I mean, you know, I've been a huge fan of Christian's for a while, and, it, well, I, you know, I, I probably even wouldn't say, wouldn't go so far as to say I'm a huge fan of his right now. Just because uh, every start, ever since he started doing that one more match thing, kind of kind of lost me a little bit. And when he started using the sphere, kind of lost me a little bit. So I wasn't expecting too much from this match. Um, I was expecting it to be maybe a little better than what Del Rio had at WrestleMania. But to me, when when someone says what was the best best match of the night, I might I might go Del Rio Christian just because of uh, my lowered expectations going into it. Um, I mean, yeah. how, how do you feel about it? Yeah, I mean, I, I have to agree. I, I certainly wasn't that excited about it. Del Rio really never does much for me. Um, right. And Christian, you know, I can take or leave him. I obviously, uh, I respect his work, but... so And there was no build to the match, so you're kind of thinking, well, maybe this is just a throwaway feud for Del Rio, and, you know, they're just going to kind of do a 10 to 15 minute mail-in match and he'll walk out champ and that's it. But, uh, but yeah, they really, they really went back and forth. Um, the drama at the, at the, uh, the finisher with the cross arm was, was really nice. Yeah. Um, and you know, <laughs> I guess it wasn't intentional, but the, uh, the black eye and the beat up ear and all that, that yeah. Del Rio had going on kind of made it feel like a, a fight, you know? Yeah, and I, I can't really even think of when in that match that would have happened. And it's it's weird because if anyone, if you would have told me that somebody's going to show up after that match on Raw and have a black eye or a busted lip or a busted ear or anything like that, I would have thought it would be Christian. Well, the, um, the story is uh, Del Rio got in a bar fight on Saturday. Oh, nice. They were trying to sell it as he got it on Friday on SmackDown, but I guess he uh, had okay. a bar fight or something. 
But gotcha. Yeah. But uh, but the the spot of that match that uh, that really caught me was when uh, somebody was was uh, I think it was Christian running in for a spear, and Del Rio just does that that forward drop kick where he just like throws both of his feet. Oh, yeah. Grills Christian. I mean, to me, like that's that's one of the spots that, like, if you if you say like, what do you remember most from SummerSlam? That's one of the things. Yeah, and I've noticed, you know, here and there, they're doing a good job of of mixing guys' moves like that. You know, like yeah. that's a real nice combination of of a signature move for Christian, you know, and a signature move for Del Rio, and then they mix them together like that and gives you a nice spot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I agree, and uh, it's. Not too terribly surprising that Del Rio retains, but yeah, and I think you know I, there was some discussion on uh, on our Facebook interface for for Guys Nation Wrestling, where um, you know we talked a little bit about whether or not the heavyweight championship is um, more of a mid card title, mm-hmm. and if you're comparing it to the WWE title, then then clearly it's not the top belt, but. You know, when you look at WWE as a whole, you know, there's certainly a case to be made that it is a mid-card title. But I, I feel like matches like this, whether or not you like Del Rio's title reign as a whole, I feel like matches like this, things that you can call back to and say, yeah, that was a good match. Maybe the feud wasn't all that great, but that was a good match on a pay-per-view and the champion continues his reign. I feel like that helps to elevate the belt a little bit. Yeah, I agree. Um, the performance definitely, you know, because that's at the end of the day when it gets defended, It if they put on a great performance, then it, it means something as opposed to like a U.S. title match that might only go five minutes. Right. But, um, yeah, and he's had a number of good performances. I mean, you know, part of my problem with Del Rio is I just don't really like his persona, but in the ring he's great. He's obviously a technician. He's got a variety of moves. Um, he sells things. You know, he's, he works at a quick pace. And, yeah, so he's had good matches, I thought, with Ziggler. Uh, this Christian one went over well. And even just for the belt in general, going back to last year, I mean, even Sheamus from Big Show had some good matches. So it's not like the belt has been completely shat on, you know, not just in the card placement, but also in bad matches. We've actually had good matches. So Yeah. Yeah, that helps. You know, at a time when you're not going to emphasize it, at least the matches are good enough to make you remember it. Sure. Um, yeah, and I guess now we've just got to figure out who's going to be next in line, right? Yeah, and, and uh, the, I actually tossed a, uh, an article up uh, on, on Guys Nation earlier today that goes a little bit into that, and uh, you know, I think based on what we saw on Raw, we, we kind of have an idea for who um, yeah. Rio's next opponent's going to be. Uh, we'll probably talk about that a little bit when we get into Raw. Yep. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I, you know the next feud, the next two feuds, probably gonna help you know help determine uh, where that belt goes. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think we're seeing some change coming to the WWE as a whole. Uh, obviously, there's gonna be a lot of discussion on that coming up. Uh, and I think along with that change, you might end up seeing a change with the World Heavyweight Championship. Um, yeah, sure. not sure exactly yeah. what, but that could certainly not be. Uh, not be far off, you know. There might be a full, you know, wholesale changes across the company. Yeah, and, and uh, you and I have talked a little bit about it because it's a it's a concept that you brought up to me uh, earlier today after, you know, um, you had seen Raw and, yeah, again and had a chance to, you know, 
dive into a little bit more, and I, I, I'm really looking forward to the second half of the show um, where you get a chance to tell me more about your thoughts on that. And, um, yep. But I, I, think, I, think, I think a lot of that uh, stems from the next match that we had to talk about from SummerSlam. Yeah, the other main event, uh, you had your incumbent champion, John Cena, uh, his hand-picked opponent, Daniel Bryan, who Vince and, uh, and Stephanie have tried to say isn't worthy of the shot and all this, and they tried for the makeover, and Triple H is supporting him. Puts himself in there as the guest referee to make sure Daniel Bryan doesn't get screwed. Um, so we come to the main event. Uh, great ovation for Daniel Bryan. And uh, as soon as this music stops, you hear the booze for John Cena. Yep. Yeah. So uh, partisan crowd all the way. Uh, and, uh, you know, I thought they put on a good match. You know, Cena had the, uh, the arm or the elbow brace there. Um, so you kind of wondered whether that was going to hinder him, you know, what kind of moves he could do. Maybe they could only work on a certain side. Uh, but as far as I could tell, he really didn't hold anything back. Yeah, I, I certainly didn't notice anything uh, about his performance that uh, that would lead me to believe he was he was less effective than normal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's a good thirty minute match. Um, you know, Brian gets to to show off some of his submission moves. One thing that uh, was brought up that I thought was really cool uh, was brought up on our uh, favorite forum there, Squared Circle. The the little uh, spot they did at the beginning where Brian was on, I guess, uh, yeah, he was on his back, right, and he and he leans up with his knees, and then, and uh, Cena's trying to pin his shoulders down, right, and yeah. in order to get his knees down, he jumps on top of him and tries to push him down with his knees. Yeah. You know that whole thing. Apparently, yeah. they did that when they fir- first faced each other ten years ago on Velocity. That was like uh. the second little. Uh, spot they had on that match when Daniel Bryan was like an enhancement talent that they just had around for a little bit and Cena was, you know, obviously not on the main roster yet. Right. Yeah, I, I definitely remember seeing that match. I'm sure it's on YouTube. Um, yeah. I think a lot of people had brought it up. Uh, WWE even brought it up that they had faced each other 10 years ago. And so this was pretty cool homage that they did the same exact thing. Yeah. Yeah, nice, um, little, uh, nice little callback spot. Yeah, absolutely. Um so what did you think of, uh, you know, the technical side of the match? Uh, what did you see there as far as their performances? Um, you know, I, I thought it was uh, pretty standard fare for Daniel Bryan, and, um, and by which I mean a really, really good match, uh, kind of what you're expecting going into the match. Uh, you know, I, for all the detraction that they that they do of, you know, him only being 5'8 and, you know, 200 pounds, whatever, um, you know, he certainly got a lot of power. He certainly got a lot of quickness. Um, so, you know, I don't think anyone is surprised when he puts on a great match. But I thought, I thought, you know, John Cena did uh, did a good job. There were a couple spots that uh, you know I complained a little bit about in the article that I was writing when I was following the match. Um, I, I think sometimes people try and go for their signature moves too much. There was a spot where you know, Daniel Bryan tried to take John Cena off the top rope. Cena caught him and uh, kind of dropped down to the mat and almost drove Daniel Bryan's head into the mat. Um, uh, yeah, awkward. there was some discussion about that also on the forum, and and 
you know, people slowed it down and took another look at it, and it appears to have been planned. Okay. Um, well, yeah, but because but I, Brian's, you know, he like seems to signal for Cena to go ahead and drop down, and he has his hands in place to stop himself. Yeah, and and you know, I'm fine with all that, but the thing that gets me is, you know, Cena, you know, kind of puts him in the position where he essentially has a Boston Crab locked in, mm-hmm. but then he pulls him away from the corner a little bit and turns him around and locks in that STF that he always does. Right. Well, if if you want the, the crowd to stop chanting, Cena can't wrestle, you can't wrestle, that sort of thing, John Cena needs to take moments like that and be like, oh, I basically have him in a Boston Crab. Yeah. Why not just hook my arms a little bit more and lean back? I mean, that's yeah, I a good know. spot. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it looked primed for that. Uh, I think a lot of people would have liked to have seen it. but Yeah, and I don't know why he doesn't use a Boston Crab as part of his you know, six moves of doom because he's from Boston, right? Yeah. West Newberry. I, I mean, I don't, know, I don't know how far outside of Boston that is, but it's in Massachusetts, so you know, it's certainly yeah. something you could do. The state's not that big. Yeah. Uh, you know, and he could call out for some Boston cream donuts while he's doing it. <laughs> Some clam, yeah. some clam chowder. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so, several good spots back and forth. Uh, but let's get right down to the, uh, you know, the climax of the match here. Brian whips out, uh, I guess, a move that has been around in Japan. I don't know that he's done it before. But this kind of flying knee, um, which looks really good because he has his other leg extended, right? Yeah. Um, so it just kind of adds more of a a visual element to it, I think. Uh, so he does that and scores the pinfall. Uh, how did you react to that? I mean, did you expect to see the three count right off of that? No, I, I certainly didn't. I, I thought uh, it would have had to have been a bigger move than that. I mean, take nothing away from uh, from whatever you want to call that move. I, I usually know the, the names of moves. Um, originally, I thought it was a Shining Wizard that he had done. Um, which I guess they had AJ try to do earlier in the week. Um, but watching it again, it didn't look like a Shining Wizard to me. A Shining Wizard is um, very similar to that, but the guy's usually kneeling. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I saw the move, and I was like, holy crap, they're going to – they had him win with that move? That's awesome. You yeah, know, and, and Cena sold it. I mean, he laid out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a legit move that would that would, you know – tear you apart, right? I mean, yeah. you knocked out cold from that. I mean, not not to say that a powerbomb wouldn't do the same thing, whatever, but um, but yeah, it was legit, and I, I thought it was a great way to end a good match. Yeah, I thought it was a great choice because, you know, before the match, um, you know, I had a couple fellas over to watch the pay-per-view, and we're talking about, you know, how Brian could possibly win, and so the only finisher you really see from him at this point is the yes lock or the no lock, whatever he's calling it right now. Um, but then he also has, like, the diving headbutt, but he doesn't always use that, and he didn't use it for a while until just, like, last week. So I thought maybe, okay, well, they brought it back last week to remind us that he does have this finisher. Because you figure, I mean, is Cena going to tap? There's probably no chance. So Brian's got to have an actual finisher. Yeah. Uh, and he whipped it out right there. And I actually, it actually crossed my mind that it was about to happen because not that that move was about to happen, but that he was about to do something to end the match because he goes into the corner and he's just like, his face changed. Like, he looked really emotional and he started the yes chance and then he went for it. 
so I just right at that split second, I thought, oh, something, something big's about to happen, uh, just because of the way he, his face changed. Right. Um, so he gets the the three count. Um, I don't know about you, you know, a, a little bit of a leap out of my seat. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. A couple of knee slaps, some yeses. Uh, <laughs> the guys, the guys that were over here basically stood up and smashed the wall almost. Nice. Um, so everybody's really excited. They give him the celebration. Uh, you know, he talks into the into the camera to mom and dad. You know, the entire arena is yesing. They got the the confetti dropping. I mean, it's quite a scene. Yeah. Uh, so what did you expect uh, that we were still going to see something while that theme's going on? Absolutely not. I, I thought I thought you know it's too late in this it's too late in the show. Um, you know, it's kind of. It hadn't dragged on too much at that point. I, I totally expected the uh, copyright, you know, stuff to, to show up there on the screen, the information, yeah. and uh, for the announcers to mention something about, uh, you know, as we go into Raw, we got a new era here, and you know, I expected something like that. Um, and even when uh, even when Randy Orton came down to 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 ringside, and he was kind of holding up the thing. I was kind of expecting it was just another another instance of what he's been doing, you know, the past couple of weeks, where he just wants to remind everyone, "Hey, I've got this thing. I'm around. Be aware." Right, and I think it actually was from his perspective, um, going back or moving forward ahead a little bit to what they said on Raw. It sounded to him, or the way in Cave Face sense, that he didn't know Triple H was going to do that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think we felt we felt the same way over here, that he was just kind of saying like, "Watch your back," you know, because you never see a guy actually try to cash in the briefcase when a guy's standing up. Right. Uh, so yeah, I, I didn't think he was going to go down. Clearly, the Joker in the whole thing is Triple H. He's sitting there in the corner. He inches towards Brian very slowly. Nobody really notices, and then bam. Uh, how did you react to that? Well, uh, like I mentioned before, I've I've only got T-shirts for two guys <laughs> sitting upstairs in uh, in my dresser or in my closet wherever I got the shirts. Probably in the yeah. hamper right now. Mm-hmm. But uh, Bret Hart and Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, my guy had just won the top title on uh, in the company, and then they in took the it away from. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. And they took it away from him. And uh, I was shocked. I'm not going to say I hated it. Uh, I'm a little surprised that I didn't hate it because I'm not a huge Randy Orton fan. But I didn't hate it. <laughs> I know there's tons of people out there that, that absolutely hated it, probably threw stuff at their television, you know, wanted to riot, whatever you want to say. I didn't hate it. Did you hate it? Um... Yes, I did, but and I, I I whipped my hat off of my bald head. Uh, I was definitely not pleased when it happened, um, but my reasoning is probably a little different than most people. It's not just because Daniel Bryan, you know, got screwed or whatever. It's I just don't really like the Money in the Bank briefcase, and that's a whole other discussion. But I just don't like the concept that much. Um, okay. Because part of, to me, part of the fun of a, of somebody winning a title at a pay-per-view is them coming out on Raw the next day. Right. And so with the money in the bank, it just, it just doesn't happen, you know? 
and the so, guy that does come out on Raw didn't do anything to win it. <laughs> right, right, and and certainly in Randy Orton's case, he didn't do anything. Yeah, I mean, he didn't he didn't even uh, ambush him or anything. I mean, there was he, yeah. he, he literally didn't do a move. Right. Um, did you think they might let him kick out, kind of like Del Rio did, and have at least a few moves before it was over? When when I saw that Randy Orton wasn't going to do a single move, I knew it was over. I yeah. mean, the fact that he didn't try and pick Daniel Bryan up, the fact that he just went right for the pinfall, I was like, no, it's it's done, it's over, there's no kicking out. Yeah. I mean, I think there's more of a chance that if, if Randy Orton gets into the ring and Daniel Bryan starts to stagger up and Randy Orton maybe kicks him in the, you know, kicks him in the balls, whatever, I still think there's a chance that Daniel Bryan kicks out and then maybe Triple H kicks him in the balls, right? But but the fact that Randy Orton just kind of goes right for the cover yeah. and doesn't look like he's hurrying, doesn't look like anything, it's like, nope, this is done. Yeah, pretty much. I, I was kind of in disbelief, kind of saying, oh, they got to let him kick out, but deep in my heart I knew he wasn't going to. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, and I think, uh, you know, people have gone through a range of emotions on this. Um, but I think the consensus has emerged a little bit that the WWE made everybody, including the wrestling community that's on the Internet, that tries not to be affected, it made everybody into a mark. You know, everybody got upset. And that's really what they're trying to accomplish with, with this kind of entertainment. Yeah, I mean, I, I think just about everybody likes Daniel Bryan there's a 50-50, you know, split on John Cena. But, yeah, I, I think uh, I think there's pretty much nobody that that liked the fact that uh, Randy Orton was leaving with the belt. I mean, yeah, you got a lot of people cheering uh, when it happened, but I think that's just from a history standpoint. Like, oh, my God, we saw history. We saw John Cena get pinned. Oh, my God, that's awesome. Yeah. Oh my God! Now we're getting to see more history. This is this is amazing. Yeah. Like, yeah. So yeah, they're just beside themselves. I mean, if you were there, even though you might not have liked it, you would have said, "Oh shit!" or you know something. You would have exclaimed in some way, and everybody oh, yeah, doing I'd, it at once, it makes it sound like. No yeah, I'd have been it. making noise. Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> not sure what kind of noise I'd have been making, but I would have been making some kind of noise. Yeah. Um, but I guess the the question I have for you. Um, which do you think um, was kind of the more disappointing uh, spot? The fact that Randy Orton did this or what uh, what happened between Daniel Bryan and Sheamus in the seven-second match back at WrestleMania, whatever year that was? 18-second. Okay. Well, you, um, you, you get my point. Yeah. Uh, well, I think the 18-second was worse because it was just such an odd decision. I mean, it's one thing to have a guy lose quick, but that quick? Yeah. I mean, that was just, that was really crazy. And, you know, but at the, at the end of the day, it really, and I kind of, I even thought at the time, I mean, I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, I actually thought at the time it would end up being a good thing because of the reaction fans had. Um, you know, they were immediately yesing, like, throughout the rest of WrestleMania. Right. Um, and so you could see that, you know, somehow this is going to end up working out. Uh, he got the belt off of him, and it's going to give him a chance to grow in another way. Yeah, I, I just I didn't like the fact that uh, he didn't get a chance to show what he could do yeah. back at uh, back at WrestleMania. On well, the I think stage. there's a I think there's a good chance he might be able to show what he can do at WrestleMania 30. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, so we got a big storyline that uh, we're gonna have to jump into next after the break. Uh, looks like Mr. Brian is gonna kind of take over as one of the main guys in the company. It's involved in a pretty big storyline. We got a lot to talk about with it, and we'll also touch on uh, some of the other fallout from from the show, but mostly focus on Raw and uh, kind of some theories about where we see this going. Uh, I think we've got a really interesting theory that we'll throw out there. and You guys let us know what you think about it. We'll be right back. Well, I have a feeling we'll be hearing that song, uh, or maybe some variation of it, in the coming month or so. Uh, it's the old evolution theme. So we saw kind of a reunion at the end of Raw, but uh, let's let's jump into the very beginning. Um, we found out what we suspected that Cena uh, might be injured. He goes ahead and admits that he needs surgery. Says he might be out four to six months. I'm sure we all would bank on the four part rather than the six. It'd probably be more like three. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was funny. There was a yes chant when he announced he was going to be gone. Yeah. All the fans uh, were loving it. Yeah. And so he basically more or less hands the torch over to Daniel Bryan, like literally by handing him the mic. Um, Stephanie comes out and erupts, acts like, you know, it's a funeral that Bryan lost and all this. And she goes ahead and reveals that she's not on his side. It's best for business. Um Daniel Bryan calls out Triple H as he used to be a rebel. And then I thought he had a great line where he was like, but you know what they say, when you lay with trash, you start to sink. Yeah, and you know what? I like I liked that line. But to me, I felt like Daniel Bryan was a little harsh there at the beginning of the segment because he didn't know why why Stephanie was out there. Like, you know, she didn't she wasn't, you know, no, she already revealed that it was best for business and called him a B plus and all that stuff. Well, I, I feel like he had a couple of comments there right at the beginning that were kind of like, okay, he's already on the harsh and whatever. I mean, I, I get it, but he didn't it, even he didn't even say a word before she came out. I mean, she interrupted him. Right. Well, yeah. Okay. So I guess I guess that's at least a little bit of slap in the face, right? Yeah. I mean, the guy didn't even get a chance to say anything. Yeah, and I guess if she was going to apologize, she would have just come out right away with the apologies, right? Yeah. So yeah. I think what you saw there and what we've seen over you know a year or so now is they're adding a little edgier elements to the show. Um, so that was pretty edgy on the part of Brian, more edge than he has ever really shown before. Um, and you get some more edge from other guys later in the show. But then uh, she suggests you know he needs to go back to anger management possibly, which I thought was a nice callback. Um and she's like, you know, not everyone can be face of the company and all this stuff. So uh, he eventually gets frustrated because he's not getting a chance to say anything. He slaps the mic out of her hand. Uh, and she calls security. Uh, we've seen that before. Yeah. This time he didn't fight it. Uh, he just kind of goes out. Yeah. So you get the you get the, the the table is set, you know, that Brian got screwed. Uh, he comes out. He can't even get a chance to say something about it. 
Stephanie cuts him off, frustrates him, and she has him escorted out. Yeah, and and this isn't your old uh, McMahon screws, you know, a, a superstar thing. You know, back in the day, you know, Vince McMahon pretty much goaded people into it. You know, it wasn't wasn't just like, yeah, okay, you were screwed, get out, you get out of here. You know, you know, no, you don't get to talk about it. It was, you know, I'm I'm gonna rub it in that I screwed you in, you know, in that match or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's a little different take, and and as we end up talking about the uh, the end of the show, I have a, a different perspective on uh, how different it was. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I it definitely had a, a different feel to it. Yeah, um, and also just the fact that it's it's a female doing it. I mean, I know we want to say everything's equal, but it's a little different when Vince McMahon and his gravelly voice is admonishing someone versus Stephanie. You know, in her high heels. Yeah. It's just a different feel to it. Um, and also, you know, I thought, and this is this is something that I thought was a theme throughout the show, Stephanie was wearing higher heels than what was probably necessary. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. She definitely um, wanted to uh, tower over Daniel Bryan. Right, exactly. So I think there's I think there's a theme that I, I noticed throughout the show of making Daniel Bryan look short and too small um, right. and too low, you know, and everybody's above him. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's a theme that we're seeing the camera angles and such. Uh, so he's ex- escorted out. We don't hear from him the rest of the show. Now I thought it was a really interesting segment. Um, and we're going to gloss over some of the matches because I just, you know, we'll have plenty of time to talk about the other ongoing feuds before the next pay-per-view. Yeah. Um, but the next segment that I thought was really interesting was Brad Maddox, uh, backstage, basically acting like he was a puppet, uh, reading off about uh, Ziggler's comments post-pay-per-view, and, you know, so they thought they'd give him a chance against the Shield. Right. Uh, three on one. Yeah. Uh, so you get the first, like, kind of a dictatorship feel from that, where they're saying, oh, we don't like what you said, therefore this is going to happen. Good luck. Yeah, and, you know, in the past... You know, different people have been put into handicap matches before, but uh, this one definitely had a different feel to it. It wasn't, it wasn't. Gee, I hate you. You know, like I'm gonna put you in a match against the tag team champions. And by the way, you don't get a partner. It yeah. was, it was. Oh, by the way, those things you said. Yeah, we didn't care for it. And uh, we heard them. Yeah, yeah. You know, as if, you know, and this is. I mean, I don't know how many times... I mean, they do it every once in a while, but they don't really reference their WWE.com or YouTube videos all that often. Yeah, I, um, I thought it was pretty pretty savvy to uh, to have a callback to something that was never actually on television. Yeah. Right? Right, and I think that leads into the ultimate theory that we have here, that they're paying attention to everything. Yeah. Um, so they make Ziggler fight. Now, another thing that was interesting was during the Ziggler match... Uh, Michael Cole, of all people, said something interesting, um, and he was uh, he was referencing Ziggler's interview on WWE.com, and I, I thought I had watched it all, and I, I didn't remember hearing this, but whatever. So Michael Cole says Ziggler mentioned that quote, the machine is stronger, or the WWE's machine is stronger than the superstars it employs. Mm. Uh, so that right there is another kind of hint at what we're going to get at. Um, 
that their machine, you know, you either have to get on board or we'll mow you down. It doesn't matter who you are. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I've actually even seen the full uh, the full segment from uh, Ziggler. I, I think I read it somewhere. Um, yeah, I mean, I just thought it was an interesting that they threw that out there because that's a very literary kind of sentence, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, you know, some is, you know, greater than its parts, and, you know, the, uh, you know, go- it's kind of like a government is, uh, you know, more important than the, than the people it governs. That sort of, uh, it's, it's certainly, it's certainly not a statement that you would expect to hear on a wrestling show, right? Right. Yeah. It's, it's like a fascist kind of statement. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and then later on you get, same situation with Big Show. He also had a video. I don't think they really reference it in the reason they made him fight. But um, he also had a video, which was funny because I happened to go to WWE.com after the pay-per-view because I was just kind of still wired from it and you know wanted to see some more stuff. Sure. And uh, so both both Big Show and Ziggler had videos, and I believe there was something with Sheamus. So I don't know if we'll see him eventually get called out for that too. But um, Big Show got called out. He had to face the Shield. So he got the Shield in two matches. Um, yeah. And then, uh, and of course, they win both. Yeah. So you got heel factions running roughshod. You've got every belt now is on a heel. Um, the Shield got tag match, or the tag belts in the U.S., the Intercontinentals on Curtis Axel, Del Rio, Randy Orton. So it's it's dark days are coming overall, basically. The whole <laughs> show was kind of dark. Sure. Even uh, the primetime players came out. So, (laughs) but uh, finally you come down to the coronation, right? They advertise the coronation, the whole show. Now you see the roster on stage, and then what do we see protecting the ring but the shield? Yep. Um, We speculated for a long time that they would eventually assist the McMahons in some way. Obviously, I'm sure the angle for them is that they're still mercenaries and that they're just being paid, right? Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's got to be it. And, you know, not not just one of these things where the heels align themselves with uh, whoever's in power, whoever's going to keep them, uh, you know, doing their thing. But uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, there's definitely a reason why it was the Shield that were that were out there and not uh, primetime players or um, yeah, somebody a uh, different set of heels. Yeah, right? and it fits in nicely. I mean, they've had. Uh, Vince commend them backstage before. Um, they've been built as this unstoppable force. You know, even when they faced three on three matches against the top faces of the company, they came out victorious. Right. Um, so they're the perfect enforcers for what looks to be some sort of new corporation here. Um, now, the first kind of uh, promo you have is from Vince, and he basically insinuates that it was Triple H's call. You know, he's like, what a great move you made. You know, I, I commend you. Um, so I think right there, you know, plus the fact that, you know, later on Orton says something to that effect as well, I think we know that it was all Triple H. He was the one that made this choice. Um, and then he goes on his own diatribe saying, you know, I did it for you. I did it for the future. I did it for Vince. I did it for Vince Sr. You know, he goes on and down the list. Um I almost was hoping he'd call it the fat kid in the front and say he did it for him. But, <laughs> right. But uh, 
So yeah, and it's it's all personal versus business. You know, he's like, I don't have personal problems. I like Daniel Bryan personally, blah blah blah. But it's business, business, business. Yeah, I I don't know the a little bit of what Triple H was saying kind of struck me weird. Um, it's certainly not um, so far even. It's it's not uh, building up to be anything like uh, what I was expecting. If you were to tell me that there'd be something of a corporate uh, champion, if you were to tell me that. Uh, you know, there was somebody that the McMahons and Triple H were, were backing that uh, I wouldn't see it going this way um, just because it just it didn't feel like that's what Triple H was saying. Um, he said some interesting things, but all in all, it just it felt weird to me to hear him say what he said. Yeah. Uh, did, well, did and you, he kept referencing... Any... He kept using the word burial, too, which I thought was a funny nod to the, uh, the detractors. Right. Um, it, it just felt weird because, I mean, he says he, he, I mean, he essentially picked Randy Orton, but he was saying it's not necessarily because of Randy Orton. He was saying, you know, Randy Orton is the perfect guy for this, and but then he kind of said, I had to put aside my personal things about him. And it's like, you know, I did this to Daniel Bryan because he's not the right person, but I don't dislike Daniel Bryan. It's just... I don't know. Did, did any of that well, strike I you think, as, uh, as weird? Well, I think he was trying to be consistent with what's occurred in the past. I mean, he's he said that he had a personal problem with, with Randy Orton. He admitted that. Uh, I think yeah. the fans are happy that he didn't forget that. Um, and then he admitted he didn't have a personal problem with Daniel Bryan. So the flip of that is... On a business perspective, he doesn't have as much of a problem with Randy Orton as he does with Daniel Bryan. So at the end of the day, he weighed, well, personally, I have more of a problem with Orton, but business-wise, less, and vice versa with Bryan. So that's why he made his choice. Um, you know, and then we we see more after Orton comes out. But um, you know, I thought it was really interesting, uh, and it was a, it was a nice reminder of. You know, one of the big things about the era, and you know, this is going to get a ton of comparisons to Austin versus Corporation, but uh, you know, we're not going to spend all day on that or anything. But right. one of the one of the similarities I thought was really cool was when Triple H was on his diatribe and he's leading into introducing Randy Orton. You actually heard Daniel Bryan chant "Start," right? Um, which that's what went on back in the day all the time was when when the fans were getting restless, they would just start chanting "Austin." Yeah, you know, just hoping time, he would show up and get them to shut up. Yeah, because half the time that's exactly what happened. Austin just shows up and starts hitting people with a stunner. Right. Uh, so, but anyway, I thought that was a big deal because it shows that you know the fans are firmly behind Daniel Bryan, and even through you know the fact that he's about to introduce the WWE champion, and they're not even talking about Bryan anymore, they start chanting his name. Yep. You yeah, know, it's definitely uh, a good sign. Um, feel like part of that is probably because uh, you know obviously sure they are they are firmly behind Daniel Bryan but I, I feel like part of it is because Triple H's whole promo it just seemed disingenuous and felt like he was waffling and um, I think maybe a lot of the fans were, were just like I was where it's like I, I just I don't I don't know I, I just don't feel like what what Triple H is saying is is Gen genuine, right? I mean, like 
I didn't feel like even he believed it. Like, he was just kind of half-assing it. I, I don't know. Um, it just felt inconsistent. I, I, don't, I don't know how to better explain where I'm coming from with that. I mean, but, were there uh, any specific points? I, I mean, I, it seemed to work for me. I don't know. Well, it, it's kind of like... Um, when, all right, when when he finally calls out Daniel Bryan and says, "Hey, no one, no one touched Daniel Bryan, or you'll answer to me," and then Daniel Bryan gets you know down towards the ring, and then the Shield just start beating the hell out of him, right? And yeah. So it's like, uh, okay, so were the Shield acting on their own, or was it just a ploy to get Daniel Bryan down there so that the Shield could beat him up? Yeah, I mean and, that. And I, I guess I guess if you look at uh, you know the way you know heelish characters have been in other in other mediums, it's you know that's a that's a consistent thing to do is is you trick him into coming out and then get someone to beat the hell out of him and then you know he's he's kind of neutered by the time he uh, gets the opportunity to actually get to you right yeah but then then the, he's like no 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 okay stop stop beating him up let him get in the ring and Triple H is like. It's not like he's enjoying the fact that his plan is working. And then Daniel Bryan gets in the ring, and he's already beaten down. And then Randy Orton, you know, hits him with uh, the RKO. They're just like, okay, so I guess he's not going to say anything. Um, yeah, well, I I was going to kind of go over that. But, you know... <sighs> Yeah, look, I, I think the whole thing was consistent from my, in my opinion. I think you're mixing different parts together in a way that don't flow. Um, because what we were just talking about was his initial speech before he even called Orton out. Right. Um, his initial kind of admission that he did it and trying to give a reason why he did it. I thought, I thought that was, in a nutshell, that piece before Daniel Bryan shows up, before Randy Orton shows up, I thought that piece made decent sense. He acknowledged his past issues with with Randy Orton. He didn't act like they were buddy buddy, um, and he acknowledged you know multiple other things. And he and he's trying to position himself as the businessman. And you know, frankly, we've all worked at a company. You know, when the boss is talking, it's boring. You know, he droned right. on, um, and I think that's that's standard um, because you have to listen to him. He's he's showing himself to be an authority figure. Um, so Randy Orton comes out, uh, and he basically, you know, he says thank you to Triple H, um, again showing that it was Triple H's decision. Uh, Randy Orton didn't ask him to do it, wasn't planning on cashing in. He, he said he owes it to Triple H. Um, and then H goes into uh, a callback to Evolution where he, you know, when they first formed, he referred to Randy Orton as the coal that would eventually be squeezed into a diamond. And then during that intro of Randy Orton, he says, that coal has been created into a diamond now. Right. Um, which, you know, it's his 10th reign, so obviously he's already been on top. But still, you know, it's a nice callback. It shows that they're paying attention. Um, and so, you know, I think that was consistent in saying that Look, he always thought Randy Orton was the future of the business, despite their past grievances. He can't wrestle anymore. Therefore, he picks Randy Orton to be the champion now that he's in charge. Yeah, I, I guess I guess I would have just expected Triple H to seem more like a heel and less just like a businessman. Well, uh, don't you think people hate him? 
Um, yeah, but it's 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 not like he was going for the hate. I mean, I feel like he's almost saying, look, my actions speak on their own, and here's why I did it. Whereas Vince McMahon, back in his heyday, would have been like, yeah, you're damn right I screwed Daniel Bryan, and I'd do it again, and that's because Randy Orton is the far better option. I don't care what he's done to me and my family. Yeah, but, no. but Triple H isn't trying to be Vince. He's being Triple H. I mean, it's going to be a different character. I don't think they're going to mirror that. No, I, I know, but I, I guess what I'm saying is, even if you go back to some of the segments that Triple H has had over the past 15 years, you know, they're they're far more impassioned than what I heard out of him on, on Raw. I mean, he did it. He did, you know, probably one of the biggest things that will happen all year. I mean, he he impacted the business in a bigger way last or um, Sunday night than probably anybody else will over the course of the year. And, yeah, okay, he, he gave us his reasons why he did it, but it just didn't it didn't feel like he had, you know, the passion about it. Yeah, well, and again, and this is something we talked about a little bit earlier, that I think it's hard to compare um, past screw jobs to this one because we haven't seen the, the full story. And part of the reason we can reference Vince saying, admitting he screwed someone or all that, is that it occurred over multiple shows. I don't. It wasn't always like the next night he just said, "Yeah, I screwed you." I mean, it was these things, these scenes that we remember. They happen at various points. Um, right. So and that's not to say that Triple H isn't going to eventually act like that towards Brian, but initially he's trying to convince the universe that what he did was correct, and he's he's having them choose whether they believe him, whether they think he's right or whether they think F you, I'm rooting for Daniel Ryan, which I think is part of part of an effort to get everybody on board with Brian. I think 70% of the crowd was on board with him, but you still had your your kids and all that that, you know, maybe they still wanted to pull for John Cena. Um, he's this whole feud is setting up, you know, a situation where they have to decide, okay, I I've got to root for Daniel Bryan because what they're doing right now is crazy. Right, and I, I just I almost feel like they probably should have gone a little further with helping us see that what uh, what they're doing is crazy. Yeah. And well, showing I, us why they why they believe what they're doing is sane. Yeah. And to wrap it up, I mean, we uh, they talk about um, uh, oh she, they said Dan Ryan, we know you're still in the arena because quote we own the place and we have eyes and ears everywhere. Right. Um, so, you know, as we've referenced throughout this second half here, um, I think the, the whole thing's leading to a police state. Um, they, they're showing that whatever you say is going to be heard, um, and you could face retribution. Um, so, you know, Dolph Ziggler cutting that video, who knows what happens, things people say on Twitter, I mean... Would you be shocked if they say, "Oh, hey, Cody Rhodes, we noticed you, uh, you know, disparaged, uh, you know, Triple H on on Twitter or something like that"? You know, maybe maybe you'd like to have a match tonight, and they put him against the shield. You know, things like that, where they everybody has to be on their tippy toes. You know, they're constantly being watched. I feel like that's that's kind of where we're headed with this whole thing. Yeah, I could see that being the case. Um, 
part of me says, okay, I don't... I, it felt weird to see that Dolph Ziggler and Big Show both got the same type of segment where someone says, oh, you, you said something we didn't like, so you're going to have the exact same match that the other guy had to have, right? I mean, it felt weird. It, it almost felt like, why, you know, why are they doing this? Didn't they just do this, you know, an hour ago? But when you bring up the idea that it's almost like a police state, then it's almost like, okay, so the precedence is set. If you come out and say something against Triple H and the McMahons, then the punishment is severe and it's a three-on-one match with the Shield. You don't get to be put into a match with with Randy Orton. You don't get some random opponents. You get three-on-one against the Shield. This is your punishment. This is the standard punishment which, in a lot of ways, it does seem kind of like a police state. So I, I think that's a perfect term for it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's, you know, Daniel Bryan emerges from the shadows, um, comes out and gets gets the RKO. Uh, so they basically show that they're in control of all situations. Um, you know, they call them out. They can still do whatever they want to them. Everybody, all the superstars at the top of the ramp, they're not coming down. They're afraid to speak up. Um so I think that's what you're going to see over the course of at least the next few weeks. Who knows how long this this particular part of the storyline is going to go, but I think you're going to see um, a few guys here and there each show have to face the wrath, have to come into the office, you know, whatever, get placed in a match by Brad Maddox, get sent home, get taken out by security, uh, have their bags checked, you know. Right. And I think this whole thing... Uh, also that I mentioned to you earlier today is the WWE trying to mimic society. And they've done this before, you know, with the Gulf War and various other things that were going on in the world. You know, they're a big hot-button issue in the news right now is privacy. Um, right. You've got, you know, this Edward Snowden situation. you got the NSA, the Bradley Manning, you know, WikiLeaks. All these issues of people being worried about being wiretapped and watched and their emails monitored. Um, and the WWE is kind of positioning itself as that dictatorship, that, that fascist government that is going to watch their employees and, you know, you can't, anything you say is going to be found out. And right. you'll, you know, you'll face punishment without trial. Yeah, and, Which is essentially and, the issue that's going on in the U.S. is that, you know, through, like, the Patriot Act and all that, guys can be detained without due process. Right. I, um, honestly, I, I would have liked to have seen at least one or two guys try and come down the ramp and help Daniel Bryan and maybe just clear one or two of the members of the Shield out of the way so Daniel Bryan could have, you know, done his thing. And then that would be a really good callback next week for them to say, hey, I noticed that you came down to help Daniel Bryan. Since you like getting involved with the Shield so much, three-on-one match with the Shield. Right. And uh, I definitely like the idea that you were posing, where you know somebody tweets something and suddenly, you know, WWE brings it up on Raw or SmackDown and says, "Oh, by the way, I saw that you tweeted this, and you get a three-on-one match with the Shield." Yeah. And I think, you know, I I could see somebody saying, you know. I, I could see a situation where somebody like uh, like Kofi Kingston 
where uh, maybe two weeks from now on Raw, Bradley Maddox says, so Kofi Kingston, we understand that uh, that you think what we've been doing the past couple weeks on Raw is rather harsh and that uh, you think the McMahons and Triple H are power hungry and that something has to be done. So you're going to get a three-on-one match with the Shield. And Kofi says, well, wait a minute. I, I don't have Twitter or I didn't say anything like that on Twitter. I didn't record any videos. And they're like, are you denying saying it or thinking it? And he's like, well, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. And then he's like, wait a minute. I sent that email to CM Punk. And they're like, well, what email did you use? Uh, my WWE.com email? Yeah. Right. So three-on-one match or, with the Shield. Or a company-issued cell phone. He sent a text over. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, something like that could be a really interesting extension to this uh, to this whole storyline. Yeah, and I think that's what we're going to, hopefully, I mean, I think because it would be really cool, I hope they do it, you know, where just nobody is safe. Um, yeah. And particularly it's going to be the faces, I would think. But, uh, yeah. <clears throat> you know, nobody's safe. They're going to face the Wrath of the Shield, or, you know, maybe they uh, enlist Ryback to defeat some of these people. I don't know. He's been getting this bully thing, so maybe they find a way to use him. Um you know, I think one of the one of the topics I'd like to talk about next time, so I guess next week or uh, maybe this weekend if we uh, if we do a special edition show, because there's just so much to talk about, we can't we can't cover it all in just this hour, um, and I certainly don't want to talk about it now. But uh, right now it looks like you know you've got Triple H and the McMahons, they've got their chosen champion and Randy Orton, they've got the Shield. If you were going to add anybody else to that group, would you add anybody else, and who would you add? So I think that's, yeah. I think that's a topic we should both consider, and then uh, our listeners yeah. should consider. Yeah, I think that that's that's something to talk about, and I also think um, possible returns are something to talk about. Um, you know, whether you see a Shawn Michaels come to the defense, not maybe not physically, but um, on the mic uh, to intervene with between Triple H and Daniel Bryan. Right. Um, or if you, you know, and this is a long shot, but I know we would all mark out if it ever happened, if you see Shane come back to uh, kind of assert his, some sort of claim of ownership. Well, and there's one other guy who uh, I think his return could be bigger than uh, Shane or yeah. uh, Shawn Michaels. Uh, you know, another guy who battled uh, Vince McMahon back in the day. I think that could be an interesting return. Uh, Absolutely, that would be uh, the biggest return of them all. You you would have to think so. I mean, and yeah. I can think of a couple of people he could bring along with him, who maybe he feuded with back in the day. Who would also have an issue with Vince McMahon being power hungry. Uh, yeah. So that. So a lot a lot of excitement. A lot of ways they can go with this. I think we saw something like this coming. Um. And sure enough, it came to fruition, and it's got an even different kind of feel to it than we expected, I think. Yep. Uh, so that's exciting. So hopefully, you know, we're on the we're at the dawn of a new era that, that could end up being really, really entertaining. Um, and I think it's a, such a smart move to get the fans behind, the, you know, the darlings of the hardcore fans because then you get the entire fan base united. Um there's no more of this, let's go Cena, Cena sucks. It's just going to be CM Punk, Daniel Bryan, everybody's cheering for these guys. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, a good, it's a good way to do uh, something polarizing. So. Yeah, 
So, uh, speaking of polarizing, uh, you wanted to touch on the Bray Wyatt and Kane match from the pay-per-view. Uh, I think we'll try to squeeze in a few few topics here at the end. So, what did you think of that match? Uh, what do you got for me on that? Well, so I felt like that was a really creative way to do the uh, Inferno match, the Ring of Fire match, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, I, I liked the fact that uh, the, the flames would shoot up. I, originally, um, when they first turned on the flames, I thought it looked kind of lame. You know, it's kind of little bits of fire. But then, uh, you know, when somebody got slammed down or, you know, somebody dropped to the mat, you know, the flames would go up and, you know, they'd yeah. go even higher on bigger moves. And I, I thought that was interesting. I, I liked the use of the fire extinguisher. I liked the uh, as be, uh, the fire retardant uh, yeah. blanket that they used. Asbestos blanket. I don't know about yeah. that term, but yeah, you know, what, flame whatever. retardant sounds a little better. Yeah, but uh, I, but I, I think that's how they re- referred to it on Raw. But uh, yeah, I know. I, I guess I guess my main thing about it was uh, I liked I liked what happened. I liked the aftermath where they kind of destroyed Kane a little bit and then dragged him off. But then I felt like Raw was kind of lacking in that respect. Um, you know, uh, certainly the announcers mentioned it probably a little bit during the match, but I almost felt like you should have had some kind of pre-taped promo where you get at least some idea of where Kane is. Yeah. But, but I felt like they almost kind of, I don't want to say they dropped the angle, but they certainly didn't... Uh, keep the ball running. Well, you know, I the reaction I've seen online was some disappointment with the match in general. Um, <clears throat> although I think, you know, I think that's I think that's possibly poor due to a poor choice in in having that gimmick for the match because it's just so hard for those guys to put on a good show when they can't really get that close to the ropes. Right. Um, there, you know, and, to- and Bray Wyatt has to win via interference, you know, it's just kind of yeah, I mean, there was there was one point in the match where Bray Wyatt was going to do something to Kane. He ran over and bumped into the uh, the corner turnbuckle in the opposite corner, and, and maybe that's something that he just does anyway. But it almost felt like, yeah, okay, he did that, and he definitely can't bounce off the ropes like that. It just it had a it had an interesting feel to it. Certainly, uh, just like a tables match or you know some other gimmick matches, you don't you know, expect the wrestling to be top notch, but yeah, my my problem wasn't necessarily with that match. It was yeah, kind of but the that's lack what, of follow up. But that's what I'm getting at is that I wonder if you know if if it's if they did drop the storyline. I wonder if it has to do with maybe the match just didn't go off the way they wanted. But I don't think they've dropped it. I think possibly um, due to the constraints, and you know certainly they could have filmed something before SummerSlam, but you know due to the constraints of putting on a huge three hour RAW immediately after such a massive event. Maybe they just didn't have time to put together a good enough package, and they didn't want to put it in there, uh, in such a in a raw that had so many new storylines. Um, maybe it's something they say for SmackDown. Yeah, but if if they were going to save it for SmackDown, which you know still could happen, I, I wouldn't have Bray Wyatt show up on Raw at all. I would just leave he and the Wyatt family off of Raw entirely, yeah. um, spend the time you know doing something else, and. Uh, I'd, I'd go full full bore on the SmackDown because, you know, you have, if especially if you're doing a pre-taped thing, you have, you know, all day, you know, all day Monday, unless you're going to devote that all to Raw, but you have all day Tuesday, all day Wednesday, 
part of the day Thursday to kind of put everything together and have it, you know, 24 hours in advance. Yeah. So, you know, just a minor gripe, but it just kind of felt weird. I, I don't know if it felt weird to you is, is kind of what I was bringing up. But Yeah, I agree. I mean, I certainly didn't expect them to come out and just have a have a beat down on our truth. I mean, it's just... I, that's not what I expected them to do. Um, yeah. And I agree. I mean, if if they're going to continue it, then they should have been just not even on Raw. Yeah. Because there was enough to go around to cover three hours. Yeah. And uh, uh, so I, I guess I guess we'll get, uh, you know, more out of that storyline as the weeks progress because the angle's, you know, I, I think we both kind of agree that the angle's not, uh, angle's not done. But uh, before, before we sign off, I definitely wanted to... Uh, get into the CM Punk thing a little bit. Um, yeah. How, how did you feel about that? I mean, coming out of coming out of that huge match with Brock Lesnar, you know, Heyman comes out and, you know, does his thing, and I guess we could touch on that a little bit. But, uh, I mean, I mean, Calls himself that... a father figure and much more of a father than that. I don't know. I can't remember the term he used, but the, the, the guy that sired him in Chicago. Yeah, I mean... To me, that that wasn't the direction I thought they were going to go at all with with all this. Is to kind of keep it going and have Paul Heyman still kind of, you know, dig an elbow into CM Punk, uh, you know, with saying some things. I mean, did you see it continuing like this? Uh, not really. I'm not shocked, but I, I I didn't. I thought he might move on, but at the same point, you know, Paul Heyman and CM Punk are such vital members of of the team right now. Um, and they're so good on the mic that it's like, they got to have something. And, and if they didn't, if they couldn't think of legitimate enough angles to put both of them in, then they might as well just keep going with them. You know? Right. Yeah. But I mean, at, at this point, are we, are we essentially just building up to another Brock Lesnar CM Punk match? Uh, no, I think you might just see CM Punk face Curtis Axel. Yeah. And, and you know, I kind of, I did an article on the site, and we won't go into all of it, but uh, it was the um, the absurdly early predictions for Night of Champions pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually predicted CM Punk versus Curtis Axel, and it, it just felt weird predicting that, but uh, I don't know. Um, so I guess we'll have to see how that kind of plays out, because it feels like they've already faced each other a couple times and been involved yeah. a couple times, and certainly seems like a step down from facing Brock Lesnar. Um, yeah, I think there's a few different layers as to why they might do that. Um, I think, one, you've got... They've put some effort into Axel, right? Yeah. Um, so clearly, they want to see what they have with him. Um, I think they want to push him into a feud like this rather than having him feud with someone like Cody Rhodes or, or someone you know, at, at his own level. Um, to see how he handles it, because he's a little older, and if we're going to give him any sort of run, he's got to have it in the next few years, probably. Right. Um, so I think they want to test the waters. It seems like CM Punk is willing to play ball, um, you know, because he's he's had guys go over him all year. Right. Um, so he seems to be kind of towing the company line. And then you also have the concept of bringing some relevance back, back to the IC, I think, I think that's something you hear fans constantly clamor for. Um, you've had guys like Jericho, um, you know, have IC runs after they've been a world champion. So it's not unprecedented. Right. Um, so whether or not they go for the title, you know, remains to be seen. And another layer that's kind of outside of this feud is that, I, you know, 
and we didn't get to this during the Daniel Bryan uh, new corporation topic, but you're seeing a lot of Bryan's potential allies being tied up elsewhere. Um, and so you would think, okay, CM Punk would be a, a prime guy to help Bryan out because he hates you know, all those guys and, and he hates the establishment. But yeah. he's tied up now with Axel. So it kind of ties up another loose end of somebody that could potentially help out Brian if he's already involved with this. Yeah, so they, they really want to make it Brian versus uh, the establishment instead of um, trying to say, well, Daniel Bryan and his coalition or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, eventually they might do something at Survivor Series, but I'm just thinking that that could possibly be part of the reasoning for keeping CM Punk tied up, you know? Yeah, I, I could see that. I, I could see that. Because um, yeah, if he was well, just, if he had nothing going on, wouldn't it make perfect sense for him to just say, "Well, I don't like this crap. Randy Orton doesn't deserve the belt," you know, and like get involved in that picture. Yeah, I, I think if anyone has a problem with Randy Orton, it's got to be CM Punk. And yeah. the only reason why CM Punk wouldn't speak up about a storyline like this is if he's got something that's more personal to him than than uh, the WWE Championship, and that would have to be yeah Paul Heyman at this point. Yeah, I think so. Uh, so, yeah, it looks like that's going to continue, although, you know, never know. They might just wrap it up quick. Um, <laughs> Maybe. But, yeah, the other thing I, th I think we need to mention before we get out of here um, is the CM Punk uh, rant that he went on in the ring. <laughs> yeah, I, thought little, was, little, I thought that was pretty crazy. Yeah, there's a little mixed reaction uh, from what people thought about that, um, just kind of looking at the Internet a little bit today. Um, yeah, some people, some people really liked it, and some people were like, you know, you know, wasn't they didn't really like that he did it. Some people were saying, well, this is why CM Punk is not the company man. This is why he's not uh, the face of the company is because he he does random crap like this, and he doesn't act like a face, and you know, he just tears into some dude for no reason. That's well, like, you know, what I thought was interesting is somebody was censored on the pay per view. I, I think it was Punk. There was there, there was definitely, you know, the audio dropping out as a guy was mouthing MFR. I think I'm pretty sure it was Punk. Um, and then the audio drops out during his diatribe on Raw. Yeah. So I'm thinking they're going to start allowing some some cursing, but they're just going to have this delay where they don't have to put it out on TV. Right. I, I think um, that's a. Yeah, it's a strong move on their part if they do it. Yeah, so that's interesting because I, I've never heard them have a delay on a pay-per-view. Right. Um, and then it happens again the next night. So to me, that that's more than a coincidence. Um, and he, he was censored more than once on Raw. Yeah. So clearly there was a plan or, or, or they were ready for it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, sure I he said... Because I, I think that it's so much more real because these are grown men. Yep. When they get angry, they're gonna curse, you know, and it just it makes sense, you know. As long as you don't, as long as the whole show's not cursing, it's not a big deal, you know. It's it's a point where he is just so fed up that he's he's just letting it loose, you know, and that's that's fine to me. Yeah, no, I I, I liked it. Um, I totally disagree with the people who thought that he was out of line to do it, or that he was hurting himself to do it. Um, I and I don't think that I don't think the quote unquote fatso was upset one bit. Oh I mean, yeah, that guy. That guy had his teeth out. He was loving it. Oh, yeah. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, CM, that just kind of shows you what kind of person CM Punk is. Like, he doesn't want to be disrespected by anybody. Mm -hmm. And 
if you if you say something to him and you think, oh, I'm just a crowd, whatever, I can say whatever I want, he is going to tear you a new one. Yeah. And that's exactly what he did. That was one of his kind of signatures right back in the day. He used to kind of rip on the crowd. Yeah, just just very interactive with, uh, with kind of everybody. So. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, we as we go out to demand CM Punk's music, uh, I think that's all we got for this week. Anything else you want to squeeze in, or should we should we call it a night? No, I, th- I think there's there's about a hundred different things we could continue talking about, and I'm I'm still kind of still kind of pushing that uh, maybe uh, maybe by the time Sunday morning rolls around, people wake up and wish that football is on. Maybe they check out iTunes or the site, you know, and yeah. find that there's a new podcast because maybe we do a special edition. But uh, yeah. otherwise, the uh, the hundred different things that. Uh, we could be talking about tonight we uh we'll end up touching on next week yeah uh, absolutely and yeah. people can uh, interact with us throughout the week on facebook guys nation wrestling uh we've got the twitter gn wrestling um yeah. website guys nation go there there's articles that rob's written and uh yeah we'll be on itunes uh should be able to check it uh wednesday mornings for new episodes yep yeah. all right that's it for this week see you next time that's it.